1: Layoffs may be making all the headlines, but Austin continues to grow, with factories opening their doors, startups announcing new rounds of funding, and companies moving headquarters and regional offices to our city. None of that growth happens, though, if there aren't people with the right talent and skills to fill those jobs. Today, we're talking with Tamara Atkinson, CEO of Workforce Solutions Capital Area, about how we balance talent, supply, and demand while preparing for the future. Tamara has served Workforce Solutions Capital Area in progressively more responsible roles for over 20 years. In 2017, Tamara expanded the Board's impact through the creation of the Community Workforce Plan, Austin's first comprehensive workforce strategic plan in order to better analyze and scale economic mobility through career education. The Community Workforce Plan, ongoing today as the Higher Local Plan, has been a shining example of what a community can accomplish when rallying its resources across all sectors in a time of challenge and opportunity. In 2023, Tamara was selected to be the Workforce Development Council President for the 2023 United States Conference of Mayors. This conference is the official nonpartisan organization of cities with populations of 30,000 or more, including over 1,400 cities. Tamara, welcome to the Austin Next Podcast.
0: Good morning, thank you for having me.
1: All right, I wanna start off with the big picture. What is the mission of the Workforce Solutions Capital Area and how does it actually play out in kind of day-to-day?
0: Yeah, great question. At Workforce Solutions Capital Area, we exist to support and connect local people to local jobs. So we are all about empowering Austinites in a way that allows Austinites to afford to live in this great community and helps employers find skilled talent. And so what we do on a day-to-day basis is we really are about providing career guidance and job connections for Austinites. We're providing services for workers, and what that looks like is scholarships to go to post-secondary education. We're providing outsourcing services to employers to find talent in this community. And then we're also working closely with economic development on all these great business relocations and expansions in our region.
1: So maybe let's take an example that was just in the news. We saw that you had the partnership with the Austin Transit uh, Partnership. How does that, so what exactly is that going to look like? What, are you, what is the group doing together? What's the, what's the mission? What's the problem that you are trying to solve?
0: Yeah, great question. So here's the problem, and I would say it's an opportunity for Austin. We know that there are billions of dollars coming down to our state, and then we'll also come to Austin to support infrastructure and mobility. So what does that mean? It means there's money coming down to repair roads. There's money coming down to expand our airport. There's money that's already in our community and will continue to come to support Project Connect. So all this money coming down means good infrastructure projects, good. Austin needs them with our growing economy and growing population, good. But that will create jobs and jobs mean people, people to fill those jobs. So the partnership that we've launched with Austin Transit Partnership and we've launched uh, in the fall with Cap Metro is all about coming together to be smart about how we plan for these jobs, where are these jobs going to be, when are these jobs going to be, what skills do these jobs require. And then we want to be smart about uh, building up our local talent pool, so local Austinites to be able to fill these really good jobs. So in other words, gentlemen, we don't just want to build roads with these dollars. We want to build a community and we want to build wealth.
1: So this is, I think, the Austin Transit Partnership is one example of an integration and partnership that you're doing. How do you integrate across the, the region? I mean, we know we have the Texas Workforce Commission. What are other examples of where it is that your group is integrating in and how are those integrations happening?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So maybe for context, I should say that Workforce Solutions Capillaria is one of 28 workforce boards in the state of Texas. And we collaborate with the Texas Workforce Commission as the state agency, but they're essentially the planning administrative uh, entity for the state of Texas that also receives federal funds. And then there are 28 of us, of which I represent Austin-Travis County, that are doing the work on the ground. And what we see increasingly is, and maybe no surprise, neither workers nor employers see these county boundaries as limiting their opportunities. Companies are working across counties. Uh, Job seekers, workers are moving between counties. For example, we collaborate really closely with our friends in San Antonio. They tell us, and we see in the data, that every single day they export over 90,000 residents of Bear County into Travis County. And every day, over 100,000 Travis County residents go to work in Bear County. So there's this labor shed, this labor share between our regions that really forces us, if we wanna remain relevant and really respond to the market, to see our region as a super region, see our region as hubs of talent and innovation. And our, the best way we can provide uh, support to our communities is to work across our regions and not just stay on our little island in Austin.
1: Yeah, we've done quite a few different conversations on, on the show either about the looking at us as a multi-hub region, looking at the mega region of Austin, San Antonio, all the way to thinking about the Texas Triangle and how those integrate together. And we started seeing companies putting different regional hubs in Dallas, in Houston, and being able to integrate across. I think one of the more interesting parts is seeing startups starting to act like you know large corporates. We're like, yes, we have regional uh, locations and we've been around for a year or two years. And really leaning into that talent pool. So, and speaking kind of of the talent pools and thinking about it, how would you describe our current talent situation? What's what's the strengths? What's the weaknesses? What are the gaps when you kind of take that 50,000 foot level to look at, you know, what is the talent situation?
0: Well, I think in a word, hot, uh, and I would say competitive. Those are two words that I think describe it. Hot and competitive is our talent situation. I mean, look, you can look at the data and see that we've been creating jobs faster than the national average. So for the last five years, our job growth rate was over 16 percent compared to less than 2 percent at the national level. So that means we're just creating jobs at a faster clip than almost anyone else in the country. And we are projected to ever so slightly slow down in our job growth. Through 2026, but but that will take us down to 12.5% compared to less than 5% job growth projected for the country. So, what does that mean on the ground for employers today? It means that if they feel like they're having a hard time filling jobs, the data would bear that out in terms of the number of jobs that have been created. Because here's the reality. This is good news for Austin in a lot of ways, but it creates unintended consequences, and that is that there are more opportunities for workers to pick from. And so workers can be choosy, and workers with skills can really command where they want to work and what their terms are. One of the things we say at Workforce Solutions is you earn what you learn. And so the greater your learning is, and that doesn't necessarily translate into a degree or certificate anymore. That's what skills do you have that are specialized in in in-demand? And with those, you can command higher wages, but that also makes for a competitive labor market.
2: I have to ask you, because I was very surprised when you talked about the number of people traveling north from San Antonio and south from Austin to the other side of the ASA region, if you will. Um, that's, that's an amazing kind of stat that I hadn't heard before and talks about the interconnectedness of many of the issues that we face today. During the pandemic, remote work and hybrid work became the rage. How much is that impacting that movement, that physical movement back and forth? And how much do you see it uh, changing over the course of the next few years?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So if you had asked me that question three, or four months ago, I would say, yeah, we've, we've all learned a lot about virtual work and now more and more people are working remotely and this is going to stay that way. And I actually don't think that's wrong, but I think that the dust hasn't settled yet. Here's an example. Uh, I was in Chicago earlier this week and talking to peer's who are in the workforce industry, and we were talking about the nature of hybrid work, this very question. And what we're seeing is that there is, there are some companies that are saying, no, we're only going to be, we're going to be virtual only, and we're going to let our leases expire. And we see that happening, and we see workers wanting that type of situation. But we I also hear workers, and we hear companies saying, we're realizing that our culture is compromised when we have everyone working remotely. We're realizing it's harder for us to actually retain top talent because we can't really get to know them and they don't feel connected to us in the way that they do when they come in person. And frankly, we've heard creatives say they, they aren't as creative if they can't have that interchange with people. So the the what the conclusion we're drawing right now is I think the dust hasn't settled yet on that question of does hybrid work in what situations? I think we're all kind of like, Uh, teenagers that have grown really quickly and our clothes don't quite fit. We're trying to figure it out, but we know we'll grow into what's right for us as we move down the road.
2: I was just going to say, I was at a round table about six weeks ago and about 20 senior executives from different companies were there. I think everybody was approaching this differently. So another area where the dust hasn't settled. I mean, we've observed this demand for talent really happens at a step function it's it's lumpy, if you will. Whether it's a large VC round, a corporate relocation, more manufacturing coming online. But obviously, even if we're all just teenagers now, you know, aging is kind of a linear kind of thing. In this case, growth seems to be linear as well. How how do we handle that kind of issue? I mean, we know how many students are going to graduate each year. We know, you know, kind of migration issues. What do we do?
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I actually want to challenge us on this notion that talent tends to be linear cuz I don't know that it has to be. I do think that's the traditional way we've looked at talent development, right? When I came into workforce development over 2 decades ago, we saw it as we would we would meet high school seniors and we would talk to them about their careers, talk to them about post-secondary, and then we would track them two, four, six years down the road. And that's how we would see our talent supply being developed. I think we need to change that paradigm. And I think we are changing that paradigm. And I would dare say some of the most innovative companies and the successful companies are recognizing it doesn't have to be linear in that way. And what do I mean by that? I think we need to redefine what we mean by supply of talent and when and where we start developing that talent. So at Workforce Solutions, we have staff that are embedded in five area school districts. And what are they doing? They are working alongside the college and career counselors. They are working alongside the career and technical education advisors. And we are bringing career education and awareness into the middle school's into the high school. So we are starting our, we see our talent supply as early on down that pipeline. And frankly, we're not the only ones. So do a lot of companies. They're getting in and working with students and schools early to raise awareness about their industry and honestly about their own companies. So that's good business. So that's one way I think we need to see supply differently is there's an opportunity for students to have internships in the summer. There are opportunities for students to get exposed early. And then what happens upon graduation? When I graduated from high school, it was expected I would go to a four-year school. And so it was a train and pray, if you will. Train me up and pray that my parents were praying I'd get a job one day. The paradigm now is, while that is still an option for many, many students, and we want every student to achieve their highest educational level, We are seeing increasing opportunities for students to get exposure to industries, understanding and exposure to occupations, and come out of high school with an apprenticeship lined up where they go to work in a company, they start earning money on the job while the company grows their skill sets. And oh, by the way, many apprenticeship programs allow a person to increase their post-secondary skills. Um, at no cost to them. So no debt. At a time when our country is really grappling with, how do we help people who have college debt or will take on college debt? There are numerous opportunities for people in our community to get a level of post-secondary education that allows them to make a six-figure salaries down the road without incurring one penny of debt.
1: This talks a lot, though, about the pipeline. And, and And I think that's an important aspect, especially as we think about the growth as we see it over the next you know five, seven, ten years as, as we're seeing more migration and more more job opportunities. But when I start thinking about the middle level talent, the executive talent, how are our strengths and our gaps there? Because that's not something necessarily that the pipeline is going to be able to fix. But when we think of the kind of, again, to that stochastic nature, that Michael was talking about when, okay, if I've raised a hundred million dollar funding, I'm probably looking for yes, early stage, whatever I'm looking for. I may be looking for mid stage coders. How is it that we're able to help try to meet that demand or do we have it today? Right. Where, where is that, where's that talent pool coming from?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll talk about it from the tech industry Because we have at Workforce Solutions an industry sector partnership to support the tech industry. And we have employers that are coming around the table on a regular basis to uh, look at that talent pipeline specifically in their industry. And what we're hearing from them is we're hearing uh, an increased urgency and need around diversification of the workers, uh, and we're hearing a need for better preparation, entry-level preparation to go into entry-level jobs. So I know you're asking about mid-level jobs, but we'll, and what we see at Workforce Solutions is, we actually can be impacting the growth of mid-level jobs and executive jobs, particularly to diversify uh, who, is, who is in those roles. By helping companies look at their onboarding and their entry level pipeline ch- uh, opportunities, and so I, I think there's no silver bullet. That's that's what I'm I'm gonna say here. But what we've seen works is better preparation on the front end for workers going into, let's say, the tech industry, intentionally including community based organizations who reside in parts of our community that represent underserved populations and helping them and working with them and tech companies to connect them to talent they may not know how to access. And then also providing services to companies in a way that we can support them to grow their own talent from within. Because what we've seen works too is that companies will increasingly look within their own organizations for that next mid-level manager and, and promote and support that person on the job. One of the things uh, we talk about, and it's an acronym that's kind of funny, but we say "Goo,", GOO and GU GOO stands for Grow Our Own. When as a community we grow our own and therefore don't exclusively have to depend on out-of-market talent recruitment, we think that's part of how we keep Austin, Austin. And keep what we love about this community here is by investing in our own people.
1: No, and that makes a lot of sense, and I see that. Um, obviously, one of the examples recently we saw, you know, Tesla announcing their new engineering headquarters back in California. Now, I think a lot of that probably had to do with the critical mass of engineers they already had there. You know, not obviously privy to anything kind of behind the scenes that they were able to do. But when you talk about you know diversifying the workforce, getting all the entry level talent it makes a lot of sense on the long-term, but if I need a hundred engineers tomorrow, kind of this working through that entry level, finding new talent, opening up. And as I said, I think it's, I, I love this, this looking at this, you know, uh, opportunities for how do we start thinking differently and stop screening out candidates, start screening in, training people, bringing uh new, looking at skills instead of necessarily degrees and certifications. But and I and I think Tesla's just one example I've heard about in different things where it's like, yes, we're a growing market, we're lots of people, but if I need a hundred of X tomorrow, all this great pipeline work doesn't solve my problem. So how how is it as a as a talent pool in this workforce, are we able to pull from different regions? Are we able to pull back to your old point with Bear County? Like, where is this kind of coming from? How do how do we help the the companies that are moving in, you know, Samsung's opening up soon. They need to fill people immediately.
0: Absolutely. That is a big challenge. And if we go back to the stats I used earlier about our job growth, um, that only exacerbates the example that, that you're giving. Um, so, look, I think companies at the end of the day are going to do what they need to do to fill their uh, their uh, job requisitions. And we know that if they've got 100 open positions and they need to fill them ASAP, um, if Austin doesn't have that, that workforce readily available, they're going to need to at times look at a market. And I think there are a couple things that we do at Workforce Solutions in our community can do to try to help that. You know, number one is we try to help companies Look to see how competitive they are in their job postings. So, are there wages, benefits, and career progression opportunities? Are they competitive? That's one of the things we can do. We can provide labor market information and insights so that a company that's going to drop hundred job requisitions for a position and need people now, like, how do they fare in the market? So, that's one thing. The one thing we can do is let's look at that and let's be really honest with ourselves about what it takes to recruit people for those jobs. We're also seeing that we can help companies really look at how they are raising awareness about their opportunities. For example, in manufacturing, we've seen a significant spike in job postings and need, and it's not expected to to let up anytime soon in manufacturing. But if you ask your average high school student or your average person who's looking for a job, do they want to work in manufacturing? Do they want to work in advanced manufacturing? They probably are going to say no, because they don't understand what it means to work there. They may think a dirty work warehouse somewhere, right? And so it's it's really changing the perception. Um, and I would also say for a company that says, okay, I need a hundred people now, I think this is where coming to an organization like Workforce Solutions, we tap into unconventional talent pipelines and streams where actually there are programs happening every single day in the community to prepare a diverse workforce to meet those needs. Now, the more the higher the level of the position, the more specialized, the harder it can be to fill those jobs. But I do think there are solutions and I think that one of the big changes I've seen over the last 10 years is companies are increasingly more willing to look at populations they might have otherwise discounted in the past and be willing to uh, invest in a talent pipeline. Look, let me give you one more quick example. You guys remember back in February of uh, 2021, when we had the big ice storm that shut off power and water in so much of our state, I actually got a call from uh, an elected leader's office here in Austin and on one of those cold mornings when I myself didn't have any power. And the question was, hey, Tamara, where can we find more plumbers? We've got pipes bursting all over the city. I need, you know, uh, 200 plumbers right now to go in and fix these. And I said, and I wasn't trying to be sarcastic, but I said we should have started two years ago. We should have started four years ago. So the, it's, it's not satisfactory, I know, to an employer that has 100 jobs that they need to fill now. But part of what the message we want to share is there has to be a both-and approach. We have to look at how we meet right now job order needs, but our best insurance for Austin's continued growth is to invest in these pipelines so they don't have to be linear per se, but they can be responsive to where we see demand growing in the future.
1: One of the things I find really interesting about our sectors is how how many different things, you know, we have space, CPG, manufacturing, you know, it life science, a whole different range of things. And they're all starting to converge in different ways. When you think about that, I think you said 16% job growth over the last five years, where would you say from a sector perspective and a functional perspective are really kind of the hot areas for talent demand right now?
0: Absolutely. So there are five sectors that we say are on fire and will continue to grow, uh, and these this is where we put our uh, our effort and our energy, and frankly, where we also put scholarships uh, to develop the talent. And so that's going to be healthcare. Registered nurses is the top of the demand list in terms of both need and increasingly compensation. So healthcare. There's information technology tech. There's manufacturing, that's going to be the Samsungs of the world. And I would say increasingly, you've got companies like Tesla that cross both IT, tech, and manufacturing, right? You're going to have skilled trades and construction. So we we talk about, we look around our city at all the building and the construction. That's skilled trades, that's construction. We look at the opportunities with all the infrastructure dollars, that's skilled trades and construction primarily. And then the fifth uh, industry sector that we just added to our list is to call out mobility, mobility and infrastructure as the fifth industry sector that we're targeting. So those are the biggies. Um, and I want to call out within those, there are uh, three areas that that kind of digging one level down where we see some of the greatest expected or I'm sorry, historic job change and the associated wages. So we've seen from 2016 to 2021, a 55% increase in transportation and warehousing related jobs. So what does that mean? That means that, think back to the pandemic when we were all cooped up at home, We we were buying things online. And to buy things online means someone's got to warehouse it and someone's got to get it to your door. So we saw a significant increase in positions related to transportation and warehousing. We also saw a 40% increase in jobs connected to information. So again, this is where those of us at home during the pandemic were increasingly working remotely, IT-related jobs, tech-related jobs, also, on the increase, and then we also saw professional scientific and technical services jobs uh, change and increase by twenty six percent so compared to the fifty five percent of the transportation and warehousing that seems like uh you know twenty six percent seems a lot smaller, but that's the third uh largest or greatest change that we saw but here's what I want to lay out, and this is what keeps me up at night is we're not, all these opportunities are not created equal. So for example, the average 2021 earnings for someone working in transportation and warehousing was an average of $54,000 a year. Now we look at information technology, IT, which was the sec- had the second greatest job growth change in that time period, the average salary is $141,000 in our community. So what we're what we see and what we're watching is that demand, the job demand doesn't always equate to good wages, and so we also we believe need to be balancing, looking at where are there good wage opportunities for Austinites to get good jobs to continue to live in this community.
1: No, it's a it's a hard balancing act across the board. You have to have the we have the supply with the demand, and then obviously we want people to want the jobs, right? I think we talked a little bit earlier about kind of the hybrid and the remote and an interesting stat kind of along the same lines was, and this was on, I think a LinkedIn stat, was 12% of all job postings were for remote and they were garnering 52% of all applications. So just because you have a role does not mean people want it. Right. Or you may have a role and and an overabundance of people want that particular thing. Right. So it goes across whether it's remote, whether it's, as you just said, whether it's a warehouse versus IT. And so how we balance that as a community. And it's hard because it's what are the needs of the employer, too. If they need the warehouse job, then that's what they need. And so it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation of kind of seeing how we see our talent playing out, what we need how we can meet those needs. We always like to ask the same question, Tamara, what's next Austin?
0: I think what's next Austin is keep your eye on mobility and infrastructure. I think that this is what's next and what's big for Austin with approximately $25 billion coming to our community. We have a decision to make Austin And the decision is, are we going to implement this money business as usual, or are we going to see it as an opportunity to really grow Austinite skills, to enable us to have a a community that not only functions better, but creates wealth and uh, and generational opportunity for Austinites. Fantastic.
1: Mara Atkinson, thanks for joining the Austin Next Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon.